This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I am so glad you are listening and would really appreciate your rating this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks to those of you who have rated it already. I am very grateful. If you like this podcast, you may also like my Conversations from a Page Literary Salon. To check it out, go to www.cfapage.net. And if you have personalized book questions, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net. Today, I am interviewing Megan Collins. Megan received her BA in English and Creative Writing from Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts, and she holds an MFA in Creative Writing from Boston University. A Pushcart Prize and two-time Best of the Net nominee, her work has appeared in many print and online journals, including Compose, Line Break, Spillway, and Rattle. She lives in Connecticut. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Megan. I am so glad you're here to talk about Behind the Red Door. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So tell me about Behind the Red Door, just kind of a plot summary and the general idea about the book. So Behind the Red Door begins with a woman named Fern. She's sitting down to have dinner with her husband and they're watching the news and they see the story of a missing woman from Maine. They're in Boston at the time. And Fern gets this feeling. She's like, I know her. I know that woman. And her husband goes, well, yeah, of course you know that woman. That's Astrid Sullivan. And she's like, that name means nothing to me. Who is that? And he explains, and the news goes on to explain that Astrid Sullivan is this woman who, when she was 14 years old, was very famously kidnapped. She was held for a month in a basement by a man in a mask, and the basement had a red door, hence behind the red door. And then she was also famously sort of returned to her hometown, sort of left on a curb. She didn't know who took her. They didn't never found out who took her. So Fern is listening to him tell this story that's supposedly national news. And she's like, I don't remember that at all. But she's convinced that she has this connection to this woman or she knows her somehow. So that night, she has this recurring nightmare that she's been having for many years in her life where she sees this faceless girl reaching out to her. But now the face is Astrid's face from the news. And she starts to wonder, is this actually a memory that I'm having? Is that why I feel like I have this connection to her? But she also, Fern also suffers from acute anxiety. So she also wonders, is this just my anxiety? Am I just nervous because I read about a missing woman? So then Fern is going home to her New Hampshire hometown to help her father move. And in the process, she picks up the memoir that was recently published by Astrid Sullivan called Behind the Red Door, where she talks about her kidnapping. And now she's reading that and trying to see if there's any clues as to why she doesn't remember this kidnapping that everybody else remembers, but she seems to have this feeling like she knows this woman. And so then her journey kind of springs off from there. Well, I thought it was an absolutely thrilling book, major page turner. I just kept you know, flipping through, had to see how it ended. How in the world did you come up with this storyline? I mean, the parents and I mean, it's a chilling story. Where, where did that come about? Well, as a thriller writer, and, and I think this is the same for a lot of people, even who aren't thriller writers, I'm very fascinated by missing person cases. And I think that there's something even more eerie to me about those than like an actual murder case a lot of times because you have a body, you have something to work with. But with a missing person case, they just disappear and you don't know. And there's so many unknowns. 
So I was really interested in that, but I had this idea that sort of sparked the book, which was what if somebody who had been famously kidnapped as a child, like an Elizabeth Smart type case, what if they went missing again and was taken again as an adult? And what would the media coverage look like? So, and then I kind of came at it sideways from this character, Fern, who is similar to the idea of when there's a missing person, it's just this unknown, it's just this thing that's missing, it's just this absence. She's thinking that she has this absence in her memory of not remembering who this woman is, like in terms of the way everybody remembers her, but also feeling so strongly that she knows her, but not knowing how. So then, so that's kind of the seed of the story. And then things just kind of spiraled out from there for me. Well, I was fascinated with the portions of the story about memory and Mm -hmm. what people will block out, what they won't block out, the little portions, things flashing back, like her dreams. What kind of research did you do for that? Well, I've always been both fascinated and terrified by the idea of memory repression. And I first really learned about it in some, I don't even remember what it was exactly, but it was some true crime show where this one man, he was talking about an experience of when he was a boy that he, his sister was kidnapped, but he, and he was with her, he was standing with her at the time, but he remembered this completely different thing that did not happen because his brain was essentially blocking the fact that he'd witnessed this traumatic thing of her being taken. And that was so chilling to me, the idea that our brains can actually rewrite our memories and, and, and in a way to try to protect us, but it's still thinking that there are these things that might've happened to us that we have no idea. That's really terrifying to me. And so I looked more into that, into this, this memory repression thing, which I mean, it kind of seems like, it would be sort of a made up thing, like, cause it's so strange that our brains can do that. But I looked into all these different stories of people who had repressed memories and did some research into why that happens. What is like, what is the psychology behind that? And when can those memories come back? Do they always come back or do they sometimes, are they gone forever? So I did a lot of research into that aspect. Her memories are triggered by something that happens in the present and suddenly things are beginning to kind of slowly filter in and she's trying to figure out, am I making this up or is this real? And I mean, that is the weird thing about the brain is that either the way you can remember things isn't always accurate or 10 people can witness something and all see something different. Yeah. And, and I thought it would be interesting too, to pair that idea of, is this memory repression or is it her anxiety? Because she is someone who suffers from anxiety and and it impacts her life in a lot of ways. And I think I'm someone who has anxiety and I get treated for it. I have medication and everything. So that's the thing that I live with. And you'll get stuck on these thoughts that other people, they hear something that you start worrying about for a really long time and they can just brush past it. So, and, and then in a way that's kind of a lie that your brain is saying, this is something we have to hover on. This is something that we need to stick with when it's not necessarily. And so I want to play with that idea. Is it, is, is she having these feelings just because this is the way her mind works or is there really something that happened in her past that, that her is trying to sort of come to the surface? 
I really liked the anxiety portion of the story too, because I thought you portrayed that very effectively. And I think a lot of people these days deal with anxiety or have close friends or family members who have Mm -hmm. dealt with anxiety. And it's rough. And it sounds like because you do yourself deal with it, that you're able to validly portray it. But I really liked that. I thought it was a great part of the storyline. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people. Thank you. Yeah, it was really important to me because I realized that I had never read a character who experienced anxiety the way that I do. And so I wanted to put that experience on the page. For me, it fit in with the plot. It fit in with what the character's journey could be. But it was also about, I wanted to try to normalize it a little bit and show people that when somebody has an anxious brain and they get stuck on these thoughts, it's not because they're crazy or anything or super weird. It's just how their brain is wired. Because I know for myself, like when I would see people being able to hear something on the news, for example, and they're not worried about it, but I'm thinking, oh God, like whatever it is, like that's coming for me. And, and they're just not even thinking about it. I used to think, am I just crazy that that's the way I'm thinking right now? In writing Fern's character, I had empathy for her because she was this character I was creating. And in that way, I was kind of able to have empathy for myself, I think, for maybe the first time with this kind of thing, with anxiety. And that was really important to me. And so I wanted readers who have anxiety to hopefully feel seen and understood by the book. And then also I want people who don't know what it's like to live with that kind of brain to see a portrayal of that and hopefully have empathy for that too. Well, I thought you did a great job. A doctor described it to me once as almost your your brain's kind of sabotaging yourself. And I thought you portrayed just that in a sympathetic manner. I felt for Fern. And I just think that, you know, that, like you said, will normalize it and make others who experience similar things think, oh, there's other people doing, experiencing the same thing I am and have some comfort from that and maybe even some ideas of different ways to deal with it. So tell me what the highlight of writing Behind the Red Door was. So there is a character, Ted, who is Fern's father. And everybody who has read this book that I've spoken to or read reviews has a really strong dislike for Ted, (laughs) which I think is warranted. I I built him as sort of a bad father. He's meant to be a bad father. and, And part of that is Fern's journey in the book because she's kind of had this relationship with her father her whole life where he has kind of neglected her for his own work and his own ambition. And she has never been able to see it as that, which I think is we don't often see what our relationships are really like while we're so stuck in them. And so she is going home to help him prepare for this move that he's doing. And she and he's just retired and she's thinking, okay, he's not working anymore. Things are finally going to be different. We're going to connect And she's finding when she gets home that it's kind of more of the same. And now she's in a position where she needs support more than ever because she's going through something kind of scary and and definitely anxiety producing. So, um, But she's still seeing there's not that support. And so I wanted to kind of showcase the idea of a toxic relationship and how long do we stay in a relationship that's no longer serving us and, and what does it take to let go of that? So through that, I wanted to make Ted, a not good father. (laughs) And I actually, even though like he's not good, I had so much fun writing that character. And I don't know what that says about me, but it was just really fun because he never 
he never sees that what he's saying is ridiculous. So you can almost say anything. And I had so much fun finding more and more ridiculous things for him to say. And at the same time, I wanted to, I worked hard to try to make him not just like cartoonishly bad. I wanted to build in his background, let us see what has gotten him to this point. But I also, I just have fun creating bad parent characters. And I'm not really (laughs) sure why. My parents are great. I don't know what it is. I think I'm just really interested in how um, there's so much pressure in society on parents to be perfect, to be great. I'm not, I'm not even a parent, but, um, and I think that's such an impossible standard that we have. So I kind of, in my writing, I like to sort of go the other way and show these parents that do not do the things that we expect of them. And then how does that affect the kids who then grow up into adulthood and become my characters that I put through so much. But yeah, so I had a lot of fun creating his character. <laughs> well, Ted definitely is the worst father of the year. Um, (laughs) I was like, this man. But I'm sure it was fun to write him. And I thought, you know, you portrayed, you know, how he could become who he became. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was, oh, every time I turned around, I was just like, oh my gosh, poor Fern. And (laughs) that's interesting because this is maybe the third or fourth book I've read in the last month where there's a parent-child dynamic where the parent has not been a good parent and the child as an adult, is, is recon- trying to reconcile with that. And it's really hard to do that. I mean, it's a parent, so it's a little, a lot harder sometimes to yeah. cut the tie than it would be if you had a toxic friend where you're like, I don't need to, you know, hang out with this person anymore. It's not nearly that easy when it's a parent. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's all the like parent-child relationship is always really interesting to me in my work. And yes, and I, so I wanted it to be this relationship that even, even if by the end of the book, she's like, okay, you are not helpful to me. I'm, I'm out of here. He's still her father. Like there's no denying that. So there's still that tie no matter what. And I, I, so that was really interesting to me. And I just wanted to, to play with that idea of a toxic relationship in a family sense. Well, in the hope that now that he's retired, he will come around and he mm-hmm. will be more of a father, you know, it's that kind of perennial hope. And I don't know, it just, it was sad. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you come up with the title for this one? Obviously, the, the name of the memoir in the book is Behind the Red Door. But how did you decide to use that for the title of your book, too? Well, I actually wasn't going to at first. I was coming up with a list of titles that none of them were very good. There was only one that I really liked, which was The Sharp Edge of Everything. Because for me, that's kind of Fern's worldview. She sees everything as having a sharp edge. There's always danger somewhere in even the most benign situations. So I really liked that. My agent also really liked that title, but she did say that it sounded more YA kind of, which I agreed with once she put it that way. So I kind of abandoned that title. And then I was just thinking and thinking I couldn't come up with anything good. And my agent said, well, why don't you just call it Behind the Red Door? That's what the memoir is called. And I said, well, is that weird to have... (laughs) the title of the book be what the memoir is. And she's like, I don't think so. I mean, Astrid's journey in her memoir is talking about what happened behind the red door. And Fern's journey is trying to figure out what happened behind the red door and who was this woman behind the red door and trying to fill in the missing pieces she thinks might be there in her life. So um, once she put it that way, uh, I realized it was a good title because it did work for both characters. Um, And I, I just... I personally like it because it feels a little ominous to me, which 
is how the book is, I think. <laughs> no, I do think, I agree with you completely. It does sound ominous and that is how the book is. And um, <laughs> I thought it was neat because like once I got to that part and I was learning about Astrid's memoir with the same title, I thought, oh, I love that, that they both match up. I thought it worked yeah. perfectly. Oh, great. (laughs) Thank you. So the cover is outstanding, as was your last cover also. So tell me about the cover process for you. Yeah, I've gotten so lucky with my covers. I love them both so much. Yeah, so at the beginning, my editor usually asks me, what sort of images do you have in mind? What ideas do you have? And so I, I threw out some things. And so, of course, I mentioned a red door. And she kind of came back and said, well, there are a lot of door images and that's kind of overdone but we're thinking about doing this red background with these this like sort of blown out mirror and I was like okay I'll just wait and see what that looks like and so she sent it to me and I didn't actually immediately love it because it was kind of a little bit more cluttered at first it had more glass shards on it um, so it was a little busy but I asked for some tweaks and I asked could we remove some of the shards and then when she did I was able to kind of see it much more clearly and I I just really love it because again sort of like the title there's this there's the eye in the the person's eye in one of the big glass shards and to me that could be this these glimpses of Astrid that Fern is getting that she's not sure if they're memories or something else but it also could be Fern because her identity feels sort of fragmented right now as she's trying to figure out if there are missing pieces in her life so I loved that it could work on both of those levels. And I think, and like, I love the red, I think it's striking. So I've been so lucky with the covers that I've gotten for sure. Well, red's my favorite color. So I'm always Me drawn too. to anything that's red <laughs> and, you know, the title, all of that. I was like, okay, good. This is going to be right up my alley. But I also like the fragmented pieces because that made me think of Fern's memory. You know, yeah. it was, it was, it's kind of all over the place and she's tr- struggling to pull it together. And I just thought it was very well done. So I'm glad that you're happy with it because I think it captures the story perfectly. So you have had an interesting launch with already in the middle of a pandemic and then Mm -hmm. a tropical storm hitting uh, on (laughs) your publication day. So how has all that been? I mean, it's it's so different this time, not being able to do in-store events and actually talk to readers in person. But one thing that I think is really awesome about this is that with these virtual events now, we're getting an opportunity to reach people we wouldn't have before or to people who couldn't have gone to our events before are able to now. And for example, I had Samantha Downing last night as my conversation partner for my official launch. And she lives in New Orleans. I live in Connecticut. There's no way we could have done that before. But now with this, we were able to, I'm going to be in conversation with Megan Miranda at the end of the week and Wendy Walker next week. So it's really, it's, a great opportunity, I think. And I kind of hope that post-pandemic, authors still get those opportunities to do some virtual events because I do think they're great. But, you know, obviously I miss being in the store and getting to actually sign books and all of that. But it's been good having this to look forward to, I think, during the pandemic because that obviously as someone with anxiety, the pandemic's been rough as I know it has been for all of us. So yeah, so it's, it's definitely been an interesting experience. I'm sure it has. And I do think that these events will stay in some form. You know, hopefully yeah. we'll be back to normal traveling and people, you know, authors being able to come to bookstores. But I also think everybody's gotten so good at all of these remote things. Yeah. And you do reach a variety of people and you get to pair people together, like you're talking about with Megan Miranda and Wendy Walker. That, that's fabulous. People love seeing 
those times of pairing. So I, I would yeah. think it's going to be some hybrid of the two. Yeah, I hope so for sure. So you're just launching this one, but are you working on your next one yet? Yeah, I'm actually in the revision process right now for my next one. It's right now called The Family Plot, but I don't know if, I mean, titles are always kind of an amorphous thing kind of until the last minute, but it's about a true crime obsessed family who they gather together at their childhood home because their father has died. And when they go to dig up his burial plot, they find already buried in there the body of their brother who's been missing for 10 years. And now, of course, they're discovering that he's been dead. So that's that story. And definitely another dark, <laughs> twisty thriller. Oh, that sounds good, though. Oh, Thank good. you. <laughs> I look forward to that. So what do you do when you're not writing or reading? Well, I am a creative writing teacher. So when the school year is in session, I'm doing that. And I love that because it allows me to still be in the world of writing and reading, even when I'm doing my day job, so to speak. Um, and it's a really rewarding thing. I also, I have a golden retriever, Maisie, who I'm obsessed with. If anybody's seen any of my social media feeds, she's all over them all the time. And yeah, I feel like, I feel like between writing, reading, teaching, and hanging out with my husband and my dog, Maisie, that's that's pretty much my life. <laughs> well, that's a lot. So I, I totally get that. We have a golden retriever too named Stella. Oh. And she's oh. just the sweetest thing. They just have yeah. the best dispositions. I mean, they it's really just do. so fun. And she just always wants to be right beside you, being petted, yep. you know, the company. <laughs> it's great. Yes. <laughs> well, I very much appreciate your time. I know it's a busy time for you. So as we wrap up, I would love for you to tell me what you've read recently that you really liked. Yes, I would love to. So one book that I'm so excited about that's coming out next month in September that I got a chance to read early is Wendy Walker's new book, Don't Look For Me. I, am, I always love everything she writes, but I think that this is so far and away like her best book yet. And I read it in 24 hours. I just could not stop. It was so, so amazing. And what else have I read recently? This is that question where as soon as you ask someone who like lives around books, suddenly every book they've ever read goes out the window. Uh-huh. Um, when people no, all I the mean, time ask me, what, what, would you, what have you read recently that you like? Or, you know, what do you recommend in this genre? And I'm like, I, I always have to pause. And I'm yeah. like, Cindy, you know, that's all, that's my job. Like, that's what I do all the time. And then I was like, I should just put it in my phone. Like, you know, but so I, I hear yeah. you. That happens to me too. Yeah. Well, I also recently read speaking of Samantha Downing, who I did my event with last night, he started it, her new book. That was another one that I just read so fast. She is just the queen of these quick, fast-paced page turners with these uh, like very fascinatingly unlikable characters. And it's about a family road trip that then goes completely off the rails. And it, it's just so good and so much fun. It's people are looking for just a really fun thriller. I can't recommend anything more than that. I've been seeing it a lot. I haven't read her books before, but I've been seeing that one since it just came out recently. A lot yeah. of people post about it. And I love Wendy Walker. I um, love Emma and the Night was one of my yes. favorite books oh my the year gosh. it came out. And then I hosted her actually in Houston for one of my literary salons with The Night Before. And I keep hearing that about this new one. And she and I just actually scheduled a podcast interview. So I look forward to oh, talking with her about it. And I need to get it read because I've heard exactly what you're saying, that this is her best one so far. Yeah, it's definitely really special. It's, I mean... 
the writing is so good as usual. The story is so suspenseful, but then it was also like just a really poignant story at the end. It just sort of all came together and I just, I've been recommending it like crazy to people. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to move it up my list then. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. This is really interesting. I was very excited to hear all about the behind the scenes for Behind the Red Door. And I appreciate that you took the time to come talk with me. Uh, Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. Megan's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and as always, hope to see you next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.